You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's uh, Steve here with Jimmy and Brandon. We're, we took last week off due to some scheduling end of the season, but we are back. We will talk a little Conference League since we didn't get to talk to you guys about that to start off. So guys, it's the first time we've been together since Roma's first trophy in 14 years. I mean, Jimmy was in like grade school back then. So how's every, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing great, man. I mean, I honestly still can't believe it happened. Uh, I, it, it's just kind of surprising to me. It's both surprising and not surprising that we finally got over the hump. And I think that I've said, I said this before the match and I'll say it again. I do think that regardless of who leaves in the summer, uh, having a trophy under our belt with this manager and with this general core is going to be very helpful for us in Serie A, in the Copa in European competition next year. I, I think it just will give us confidence that we can get the job done, which, you know, didn't exist for anybody associated with this Roma before this win. Yeah, Jimmy nailed it. I think for me, it was uh, very surreal. Um, I think during the game for about, you know, even after the goal for at least the, you know, the first 80 minutes or so of the match, I wasn't, it didn't really sink in as like an actual possibility. Um, and as the clock got, uh, you know, tick closer to the 90th minute, it really start to sink in. So by the time, you know, the, the ref's about to blow the final whistle, I'm sure, um, you know, not only speaking for myself here and a lot of, but for like a lot of you guys, uh, you know, the tears started to well up a little bit, uh, <laughs> just really letting the moment sink in. And then, you know, the final whistle blew and it's like, wow, these guys really, really did it. Um, not going to say against all odds because they were one of the favorites of the comp in the competition going in, but um, we all know the history of the club and just how much it means. So, um, you know, I think I speak for a lot of people in that the, the emotions when that final whistle blew really, really came out. 
Yeah, it was almost like a sigh of relief in some ways, right? After 14 years, it's like, finally get that monkey off our back, get the bonsai tree memes to go away, right? I mean, Jerry Manchini had fun with those for about five years now. So uh, it's nice to see those go. And, you know, I, I went in feeling pretty good about them because the way they performed against Leicester, defensively, team looked solid. You know, uh, Patricio had to make those two big saves early in the second half. But other than that, Roma felt pretty much in control of the match for the most part. They played it the way Mourinho would have liked to play it, I think, against a Dutch side that likes to attack. And it was, it was fair. I don't want to say it was very comfortable. It was fairly comfortable for what we're used to as Roma fans. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I would just add that. I think that the way Roma won that match was the way I anticipated them winning that match uh, based off of, you know, the style of play that, has resulted in three points against smaller sides over the course of the season. Uh, I think that it's been kind of interesting that when we play a side of comparable, you know, size to us, uh, think Atalanta, think Lazio, think Fiorentina, think, you know, clubs that aren't necessarily qualifying for the Champions League this season, but are still quite good. Uh, we're often able to, you know, kind of beat the crap out of them. Uh, whereas with the smaller sides, that's often where we had trouble that a quick goal one way or the other just kind of dictated the tempo of the match. And we were very lucky to a certain extent that Roma got that first quick goal. I would say that it wasn't really all luck because man, I did not know that Gianluca Mancini had that in his arsenal. Um, that was just an impressive assist from him. Uh, and Zaniolo, you know, I, he had, I think we can say that he had a relative dud of a season, but at the same time, he was critical to us getting this trophy. Uh, he made sure that we got through Bodo in the knockout round and he got us, he got us the trophy with his goal. So I know that there's going to be a whole lot of talk until the Mercado closes about, is he going to leave? Where are we going to give him a renewal? What's going to happen to me in some ways, even if he wasn't the MVP of the tournament, I think Lorenzo Pellegrini definitely deserves that honor. He was the most critical player for Roma in the most important moments, if that makes sense. Uh, whereas Pellegrini was just so good throughout the entire competition, but when it was necessary, Zaniolo turned it on, which is kind of what you want from a player that you expect to become a superstar. Yeah, I think Jimmy nailed it. And I just want to piggyback off his point about how the approach is kind of similar to how Roma approached games against smaller sides this season and that's kind of how it felt watching it in that um you know going going back to last weekend's Champions League final for example you know largely the participants on both sides and um it's really back and forth you know nature to watching the match whereas um for you know for the three of us at least we don't really watch the Dutch league so we don't really have too much uh, you know, um, a scattering report on our opponents. And so watching the match, it felt more like, as it often is in the case when we're playing against these um, smaller Italian sides, I know just based on being in the same league, we have some familiarity with these players, but in the, in the conference league final, when we're going against PSV and it's, it's largely like this nameless, faceless opponent that you have in front of you, um, and it's really like, can Roma do it? Can Roma beat this team um, that for, you know, the majority of the fan base, they don't have any, um, you know, scouting report going in. So it's a little more of a different experience compared to when you have these two massive teams going up against each other. Um, so it, it was cool. It was, I don't know. It was an interesting viewing experience in the sense that it felt like 
when is Roma going to mess this up? When's the other shoe going to drop? Um, and I think, you know, a, lar a large part of that's due to my pessimism as a fan to begin with. But I think a, a, another unspoken part of that is just, you know, when you're playing in these, um, against some of these teams that you don't have a lot of familiarity with, it really does become like, you know, entirely on, your expectations are entirely on the, um, you know, Roma's players. Yeah, I mean, think of Bodo, right? We had no clue who Bodo was before the the group stage match. We knew right, nothing about exactly. that team. So, yeah, Roma, you know, we didn't know much about Feyenoord. We knew Sinezi because he's been connected to Roma, and he had a pretty solid game for them in the back. But other than that, it was a lot of unknowns, and Roma took care of business. And I went on, an, a, I guess, a, on another podcast uh, prior to do a Conference League preview with the host, and I said, I'm not making a scoreline prediction, but if Roma's going to win, it's got to be somewhere in that one nothing, 2-1 range. You know, if they get into a 3 a four, three type game, it's probably going fire Nord's way. And Mourinho played it perfectly. Like we expected him to. He's, he's a manager who knows how to win trophies. When he gets to finals, he knows what to do. He knows how to manage the match and Roma did a great job. So definitely a relief, you know, sorry, we didn't get to talk about this last week with everyone. Cause I know there there's been some listeners waiting for our reaction. Uh, feels good. Two weeks later still. And we had one uh, Twitter question from Brian, and uh, he asked, how did you guys personally celebrate our first trophy in over a decade? I'll just say I cut the grass after because I had yard work to be done on a beautiful Wednesday <laughs> afternoon here in New York. But I definitely cut the grass with a little more uh, hop in my step, so to speak. Yeah, for me, I had, um, I had a game actually right after myself. So I was able to channel some of that uh, um, you know, energy from the final into my own game. Um, don't really remember it because, uh, <laughs> well, I do remember that we won and that I scored not to toot my own horn, but, you know, just, just channeling those emotions, my, my memory is more focused on the, the emotions of the final, but yeah, had those two things back to back. And so it was a, it was a good night of celebrating after. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a great night. I've been kind of busy ever since I moved down to Washington. So I had other, other things that I was up to on Wednesday night beyond celebrating but you know I I was celebrating at least partially in my head when I was hanging out with other people uh Roma's ECL victory I was wearing a Roma kit for the next 24 hours I wore one I wore one to work the next day because you know this happens so rarely <laughs> that it's okay to flaunt it's okay to flaunt the uh the uh dress code a little bit when when something like this happens yeah it's certainly a good feeling to wear the the kit the day after a big win especially one like that so we're going to break this episode into two parts, one with kind of some reflections on the season. We have some reflection type questions, then we'll get into the Mercato a bit. And then certainly in the next few weeks, we'll dive even deeper into the Mercato. But Bello Samuel asks, highlight of the two halves of the season. I guess we could start first half. I think second half, we're probably going to share that one, I'd imagine. But first half of the season, what was your highlight? I'd go with the dismantling of Atalanta. Um, that was probably my favorite match that we had in that first half. Uh, it made me feel confident about the direction of the club in a way that even that really good run of form to start the season didn't really, because I've just been so hurt by this club in the past. And like, I remember the 10 wins to start the first Rudy Garcia season and we didn't win the Scudetto. Um, so fool me once, shame on me. Fool me, you can't get fooled again, to quote George Bush. Uh, and that win, though, made me hopeful because... People have, people have looked at the stats of like our record against the big clubs this season and said like, oh, we weren't that good. But I think it's really important to remember that one of the reasons why Atalanta fell so hard is because we whooped them twice. 
Um, like they would have been without those whoopings, they probably would have been a lot closer to even Champions League contention, I think is fair to say. Uh, that's six points that we just, you know, kept. And so when someone says like, oh, Roma didn't do that great against the top six. Well, yes, that's true. But also remember that the reason why Atalanta isn't in the top six is largely Roma's doing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that was the first half for me. And obviously, you know, we, we all know what the second half highlight was. Yeah, I second that. I had the same two as you, so I won't even elaborate uh, on it. Yeah, nothing, nothing different for me either. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Just shows how the first half didn't have that many big highlights, yeah. right? <laughs> the, if you include the market, Tammy coming in, that'll be that'll be my highlight. <laughs> yeah, that that's fair. That's a big one too. Um, Francesco Ten asked from the message boards, in what aspect did Roma excel this season? In which area do we need the most improvements? So this is probably going to come into our Calcio Mercado's talks. Um, we need depth, man. That's about like, that. that's my biggest critique. And it's been Mourinho's critique from basically, you know, week one of being at the club. And some people were calling him spoiled for it, but I think he was right. Uh, if Roma wants to be a consistent Champions League side, we need to have more depth, better depth. And we need to get rid of the players who don't seem to have bought into Mourinho's system. Uh, not even because I'm confident that Mourinho is going to be here forever, but just because I think that it should be reasonable. It's very reasonable to expect a player being paid millions of euros a year to buy into a coach's system, particularly one with as much cachet as Jose, Jose Mourinho. Um, and if you're not willing to do that, then I don't really have any use for you as a player. So given that, I think depth is the biggest thing that we need to fix. The thing that made me kind of, the happiest this season was to see a multifaceted attack develop. Yeah, it was great that Tammy Abraham was like banging in the goals, but comparatively speaking, there were times towards the tail end of the Jaco era where it really felt like it was just Jaco who was scoring um, and having the ability to have multiple attacking options, whether that's Abraham or Pellegrini or Mkhitaryan or well, I guess we're losing Mkhitaryan. Um, but you know, even Zaniolo here and there having moments where it was like, oh, wow, these guys can really score and make us have more multifaceted attack. That was something that I'm hoping transfers to the new season. Yeah, I'd agree. And I would add, um, obviously, the mentality shift that we've talked over and over and over again about. That's obviously the big one for me. And then just generally the defensive solidity um, with the squad. I know we talked about in prior episodes how the the goals conceded over the course of the season compared to last has um you know gone down by 15 or so goals if i remember correctly we're you know there's a bit of a trade off with the goal score department but i think as you know we talked about defense with championships and all that good stuff so year one of a new project you need that that base to to have your foundation built upon and um you know Mourinho known as a defensive guy that's kind of what we all expected coming in so now um going off a little bit about what Jimmy was saying with a development of a multifaceted attack and all that stuff it really um with this defensive stability the the opportunities there in this market to really really capitalize on some of these foundational pieces that um have been developed this first year so it's, it, it'll be interesting to see where they go with it yeah I'd say I, I say Roma does need to improve in the attack in the sense that they need more depth scoring. They had flashes here and there from some players, but it was really on Abraham and Pellegrini a lot of the time. I think they need to get goals chipped in from other places, which would help kind of bridge that gap from where the attack fell off last year without sacrificing 
the defensive record and, and the improve the where they excelled compared to where they were the year before has to be in just cutting out the 15 goals. Like Brandon said, the, the goal differential went up the goals uh, conceded or actually the goal differential wasn't crazy different, but the goals conceded went way down, which, which is a big step, especially with the way Mourinho likes to play the game. So that would definitely be the highlight for me and in, in where we excelled, so to speak. Uh, best game of the season. The one where Roma played the best football, Francesco 10 wants to know, I would probably say that first Atalanta match. I don't know if you guys agree, or maybe even the Derby. Uh, the second Derby was very good too. I thought. Yeah, I was going to give that one a shout, but you know, Tammy scored in the first minute there and you know how that goes with, yeah, <laughs> we, we know from the other side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I'd probably go, go that the that first Atalanta match just because, um, you know, it's, it's totally different ball game when you score in the first minute and there, then the other team's chasing the whole yeah. time. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. No, no, no additional comments. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on, Irish Romanista said Roma collected an almost identical points tally before and after Christmas. So why did the second half feel so much better? It's because there were fewer losses. Conference league factor. I definitely feel there was a sense of trajectory, but you don't see it in the points. For me, at least it was because I agree with this, that I felt way better about the club in the second half than the first half. For me, it was because there were fewer wipeouts. Like we didn't have a Bodo glimpse again, uh, which was nice. Uh, Another factor is that Roma very traditionally has collapsed in the spring. This was like a Spalletti special that they usually collapsed in the midwinter to early spring. And that honestly also transferred over to a lot of other seasons that I've been following Roma. So the fact that we actually just kind of maintained our, our ability throughout an entire season was kind of nice. Um, and I would also just say that, you know, consistency is how you win trophies. Um, and so being able to see a little bit more consistency, albeit not at the level that gets the Champions League qualification, but, you know, still cons- more consistency uh, was something that made me feel a lot better about that second half. Yeah, I think for me, it's, you know, that, that Conference League factor that was mentioned in the question, I think really um, kind of speaks to why <laughs> things felt so different, despite the point tallies being a little different. But I mean that in the sense that, because Roma's priorities were on the conference league, we saw that they dropped points in March, that three game stretch where they're, um, I think it was March if I remember correctly, but that three game stretch where they're dropping, you know, points to these mid table sides that they normally would be beating. Um, but at the same time, they're, they're priority prioritizing the conference league, having their matches against Bodo and Leicester um, to focus on. So I think, Yes, absolutely. The second half of the season felt better. And I think that the point totals mirroring the first half of the season probably is more so due to the fact that they shifted their, um, you know, their attention towards the conference league and kind of ruled out finishing top four. Yeah, they were, you know, they were hanging around for a few months um, there at the end, but we all knew it was kind of um, really a shot in the dark for that to happen. So I think, you know, when, when you prioritize, prioritize different competitions that kind of reflects in the points total yeah I agree I think it has to do you know we had the 10 match or so on beaten run in there I know there were some draws but some comeback draws comeback victories which made you feel good and I agree they let those last couple matches they had to take the foot off the gas in the league to focus on the conference like I think without that the point total looks a little bit different and I, I think like you said the, the trajectory of the club like Jimmy said usually the last couple of years has been a downward trend in the second half of the season. This was an up, upward trend and hopefully Roma builds on that in the second half. And I, I think everyone just kind of feels better about the season when Roma wins a trophy. 
And I, I think that's, it has a lot to do with the direction the club's moving in. So uh, Andy, like sports asks, which players did you have the biggest change of opinion about based on this season could be negative or positive. Thanks for the excellent coverage again, this season. I'll, I'll, I'll start. Um, for me, positive. It's obvious being the former president of the Pellegrini hater club, <laughs> that's going to be my guy. Uh, and then in terms of, um, you know, a player that, my uh had a big uh, change of opinion on in a negative sense that would say Veritu. that i think that's another easy one um you know off the strength of his seasons with fonseca you thought maybe he would be one of those that would get a boost under Mourinho, and the opposite happened so um now he's linked to the exit door and that's clear to see why so he definitely would take the cake for me on the negative end yeah i would agree with Veritu being my negative i am was honestly pretty shocked at how disappointed I was in him this season. He just seemed invisible three quarters of the time. And the times that he wasn't invisible, it felt like for some reason, a pairing that had worked before with Cristante just fell apart. Um, as for who, like the positive surprise, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that the answer for me is Rick Karsdorp. He's a guy that I would have loved to have seen gone last summer. I was very much on the get Rick Karsdorp out of that town train. Uh, now it seems like in the market, we're going after a backup right back for Rick simply because we realized, oh, wait, this guy's great, but we also can't just run him into the ground every single season. Like we did this season. And that's the right decision because he is when he's healthy and like actually, you know, not being run into the ground, he's damn good. And the issue was towards the end of the season, at least that you could just see how tired he was, um, like in the ECL final. He put in a decent shift, but he was just exhausted. And if you're able to spell him more frequently with a guy like, I think you pronounce his name, Selik, uh, the Turkish right back for, for Lille. Uh, if you're able to spell him with a guy who's like quality enough that, you know, he doesn't have to play every single match, that's a win. And so, uh, yeah, I would definitely say Cardsdorp was my most, most surprising positive player. Yeah, I, would, I was uh, leaning toward Karzorp as when I He had a nice season last season under a more offensive manager and really did a nice job this season. I was also thinking, I, it's, it's a player I'm a fan of for the most part, Brian Cristante, too. I think he showed yet again he can, again, adapt to whatever role the team needs. I thought he had a very solid season to Mourinho. He's actually won over quite a few people on Twitter who were certainly running him out the door a couple months ago. So I, I want to just give him a shout out. Um, in terms of the negative, it's, uh, you know, most of the guys that, are being run out the door aren't that surprising like VR. I'm not that surprised. Maybe DOR are not that surprised there too. I thought would be a little bit better under Mourinho. I thought maybe he would fit in a little bit better. So probably uh, a, a negative there on his part, just because he did not fit at all. But for the most part, I was happy with most of the players in the side. And then piggybacking off of that, Aristotle asked, do you feel that it's easier for Roma to part with players now that a European trophy was won and clear out anyone that may have considered holding on to? The example being how they already gave Mkhitaryan an ultimatum compared to trying to hold on to him, I guess, you know, almost at any cost. I think for the club, uh, it doesn't necessarily change their plans at all, whether Roma won or lost that match against Feyenoord. Um, their, their summer plans were already set in motion, which included, you know, keeping Mkhitaryan. I think from the player's perspective, it does signal a great ending point where, you know, Mkhitaryan is an example. I wanted to be here until this club, you know, until I won a trophy with this club. Now that that's over with, I can go to Inter with my held, 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 held high and no regrets whatsoever. 
So I think, you know, it's, it's, but for Roma, they probably fully intended on keeping him regardless of the result. So the, the power more so lies with the players there for sure. I would yeah. agree that the power, oh, yeah. No, I, go I ahead, Jim. That, yeah, I would agree that the power lies way more with the players in any of these situations because, I mean, we've seen a player can just be like, I'm leaving, and then eventually he leaves. Um, but the thing that I would add is that it's very, I'm not super torn up about Mkhitaryan leaving. Just not because I don't think he was not fantastic this season. He was fantastic this season. He played out of position regularly and played out of position excellently this season, which is the type of quality along with his experience and leadership that you need in a side like this that is majority, you know, under the age of 25. Uh, given that, I also think that, you know, we've got a lot of really exciting midfield prospects coming up, up the pike. Pellegrini has become an excellent like world-class, in my opinion, attacking midfielder. If, if you look at his season for Roma and then what the clinic he's been putting on for the Azuri, you kind of have to call him world-class these days. And so after a certain point, I'd much rather try to see if we can get more Primavera players into the midfield rotation, if we can get some younger players in, because I wouldn't want to give Mkhitaryan a three-year contract and then watch him rot away on the bench. Yeah, I, I think it depends who the player is, right? I think a player like at Mkhitaryan's age, like you said, if he wants more than you're willing to pay at 33, you, you can kind of say thanks for your contributions. You know, you helped us win a trophy, but we can't, we're, we're not going to go in that direction. I think if it was a younger player, you have to kind of hold out for as much as you can get. If it's a guy who's on the market, maybe uh, we don't have any, we don't really have anybody else on a free besides Santone, whom everybody's happy is now off the books. So I think it, I think it's a give and take. The club has a plan. They're going to stick to that plan financially. They're not going to, break the bank for most players in the, on the roster. But I think there's certain players you'd have to try harder to hold on to. But I think Mickey's age had a lot to play into that. And that's a good lead into the Calcio Mercato. So a uh, good question from Sufjan here. He asked about uh, Zvilar, Matic, Shelik, and Sol Bakken are done or almost done. He wants to know our thoughts on these names. One thing I saw um, on a tweet, I think it was from the account Calcio AS Roma on Twitter and it was basically saying, you know, these are good moves to add to the depth that Mourinho has been looking for. You know, you look at Svilar, a more experienced backup than Fusato for Patricio, if he gets hurt, or if maybe you want to give Svilar like the Europa League or something. Matic is a guy who Jose Mourinho obviously loves, right? He pursued him and got him at Chelsea, pursued him and got him at United. And, you know, a lot of people complaining about him being 34 years old, but then other people are saying, well, you know, you were saying Mkhitaryan could give us so much more at 33. What's the difference with Matic at 34, right? Matic plays a different game. So it's kind of which way are you looking at it? Because he's the guy coming in. To me, it's an affordable contract, one year with an option, a guy who's going to add to the locker room and probably be a depth option, probably replaces Oliveira, right? Selleck, Jimmy mentioned earlier, gives Rick a spell and gives you a much more quality reserve than Maitland-Niles. And Solbakken, from what we saw in, in those photo matches, presents an interesting option, maybe as a replacement for... Carlos Perez. So I like it from the sense that it's adding what looks to be quality depth to the roster. I don't think this is anywhere near Pinto being done. There's a lot of uh, people on Twitter you see complaining like, oh, if this is all uh, Pinto's going to get Mourinho, Mourinho should run to PSG, this and that. But I think this is the him like laying the foundations for the big signing or two a little bit down the road once they, you know, the market officially opens in July. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, how being unfamiliar with um, VR and Selig particularly just because I'm not watching those leagues and 
my knowledge of Sobok and it comes from the two games that Bodo played against us. But as depth pieces, all on board, sign me up. We know that there were quite a few players that were, um, you know, that Roma were looking to ship out this summer. So obviously you need to bring some players in to replace them. And I think with these names, although unfamiliar to some degree, I think um, they all have a track record to an extent that you can appreciate as depth moves. I, but, um, and it's great that we're getting this out of the way now because I feel like so often in mar- uh, markets past that we've seen these type of players come in all at the last yeah. minute. And then last it's like, minute. what is, what's going on here, guys? And, and then um, you don't get the best fits either because you scramble to fill the depth of the roster. Like these yeah. are very premeditated, I feel like. Yeah. And so it's, I think for me, these type of moves typically come at the end of the summer and then they end up feeling like winter market uh, moves. Whereas now they seem part of like a concrete plan, which you're going to supplement, as you mentioned, with those one or two big signings. Um, And I think, (laughs) I really do hope that we get that defensive midfielder now as one of those two uh, marquee signings, namely because I'm not really comfortable with Matic being that um that guy no he's Mourinho's guy and I have complete faith in Mourinho at this point but you know the the ability to run um you know we we lost your audio there Brandon I guess I, oh yeah we lost your first segment all right you got me now last I heard yeah. was the ability to run and that, that yeah, was yeah yeah okay yeah so, so great great way to leave it off no I was gonna say though like <laughs> um given our need with this position that we need um, a player that can play, you know, every three odd days, um, especially with our European commitments at his age, Montich isn't going to cut it. Yeah. Um, so I have complete faith in Mourinho, given that he's a Mourinho guy, but uh, really do think that it highlights the importance of getting that marquee signing in that position. Yeah. And I mean, I would just add that I think that the Spielar, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Um signing is like the sneaky good one out of all of them like I'm, I'm happy with all of these names being like linked to us to the point where it seems like they're all coming in but bringing in a guy like him who already has like top flight experience European champ like Champions League experience I think he was one of the youngest goalkeepers to ever play in the Champions League uh that's really great and I'm happy that he'll be there for the entire preseason because I think particularly for a goalkeeper for a goalkeeper who will not necessarily be playing all the time too um, like we're still going to have Patricio as our number one goalkeeper for the short term at the very least. And having Zvilar be around for the entirety of the preseason is going to be crucial if we want him to actually get like bled, bred into the team. If we want him to be that option that can happen if and when Patricio gets injured or dips in form. Uh, otherwise, we just are like doing the same thing that we've done a lot of times, which is bring in like a somewhat promising goalkeeper and throw them into the fire the moment that our first choice starts, you know, shitting the bed. And we need to, we can do better than that. And I think that by having him ready from day one of the market or whenever we announce him, uh, that'll be really good. Yeah. So hopefully these, these moves come to fruition. You know, these are just, you know, things that are confirmed by DeMartio and things like that, but Matic seems to be sealed and delivered. So is VLR. We'll see about Selic and Solbakken. Uh, talking about the midfield, Kastuba Harry Haran asks, with Roma reportedly going to clean house in midfield with only Cristante, Pellegrini, and Bove being certainties and Matic being a backup acquisition, most likely, what would be potential acquisition, uh, acquisitions in this area and their role? 
And uh, I'll, I'll couple it with this one. Yasser Al-Shimi asked, uh, what signature signing would be top of your list? Douglas Luiz, Dybala, Guedes, uh, Senezi, Fratezi. So just focus on midfield first, then we can talk about maybe a dream type signing. Uh, I guess I would say that the dreams, just to answer that part first, I think that the dream signing would be for Tessie. Uh, and that's kind of like my, my big fan of the um, a midfield trend um, acquisition. I think that, you know, he is someone who has been in the system for, was in the system for a long time. Uh, someone who knows Serie A, who has a lot of Serie A starter minutes now. And I would be very confident going into a season with a Cristante, Pellegrini, Fratese, Bove, Matic kind of midfield rotation. To me, that, that's a Champions League level rotation. Yeah, I think I generally agree. If we're going off that list specifically, I'd go Dybala and Fratesi as my options. Um, yeah, and in terms of what Roma's midfield does need, in terms of, you know, if we do end up cleaning house uh, to the extent that this question suggests, I would say that we'd still need a playmaker, um, especially with Mkhitaryan leaving um i know the defensive midfielder is like the big uh question mark around the club but you still got to make up for that loss of production with mkhitaryan so um given those names in those lists i think that also highlights like the importance of bringing somebody in in that role yeah in terms of the midfield i'd love fratezi as the vertu replacement i think he'd be a replacement for what vertu brings to the side i still think you need another midfielder besides him because if you're losing mkhitaryan Oliveira. And then losing Vertu, probably moving on from Dior and Darboe too. I think they're going to have to sign Matic and two other midfielders. I mean, I love the Ruben Neves links. I, I think he is a quality player, but I think they're going to get priced out of that. That would be kind of like the dream signing along with Fratezi to really fill out the midfield. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know too much about Douglas Luiz. I haven't watched him play much, but I do like the idea of bringing Fratezi home, so to speak. Um, you know, we had a question from Harry. He, he asked what one major player you would sign for us, excluding Dybala, as it's potentially the obvious and likely going to enter. I mean, if I could pick one, I would say Neves, just because I think he'd bring so, so much dynamism to the midfield and really take it to the next level. Yeah, I think the, the, the key, um, you know, point to make is the realistic option. Because as you said, with Neves, you get priced out pretty quickly. Yeah. I think... Um, and as we all suspect, the ball is likely on his way to enter. So for me, uh, I'd probably go Isco. I really love the Isco links. Um, you know, he's five-time Champions League winner, as we all know. Um, his role in, in, in those victories is, you know, up for debate on some on a couple of those at least, but um, was a major player for them. And I think at he's still early 30s. Um, if not just 30. So I think that would be a great signing. I know a lot of people are like, oh, Pastore 2.0, stay yeah. away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but for me, that he's been a player that I've loved uh, for a while. And we, you know, I remember him completely destroying Italy in that one match uh, where he had Verratti on just skates the whole game. So I think um, as we've seen, we've seen Mourinho have an ability to coax out um, some extra performance out of some of these older players. So I think, sure, it's a risk to bring Isco in, but I think if Mourinho can get that right, I think sky's the limit and he can really dominate the league. Yeah, 30 years old, I just checked. So not, yeah. not too far past his prime at this point. Yeah, exactly. Bring him in. Let's go, Tiago. <laughs> All right. So we talked about our uh, 
I guess, realistic signings. Um, so a couple other questions left on the Mercato. Matic and Selic are solid defensive players. We still need some offensive firepower, and I don't believe Solbach and alone is the answer. I'm excited to see what Zalewski can do as an attacking forward, but any other forwards not named Ibala we can realistically sign. AS Roma fan six wants to know. I personally haven't seen too many forwards linked besides I think I've seen Berardi recently. He gets linked often. I, I think Berardi would be a great signing, but I, the caveat seems to be that that's if they sell Nicolo Zaniolo. I don't know if I'm willing to make that trade-off. But at 27 years old, Berardi's been tearing up the league year after year. So it, it would be a, a proven player in Serie A who's got a good track record. Other than Solbach and who seems to be the Carlos Perez replacement, Nicolo Zaniolo is going to be our new forward signing, um, unless we sign Dybala. That's my take. I think that we need to think of him like this is, I don't think people fully understand, or maybe they don't want to understand just how much of an injury recovery, the injuries that he suffered requires. Like not everyone is Leonardo Spinazzola, who I still don't totally understand how he's back playing for the Azuri at like a world-class level. Again. Played well today um, from uh, what I saw. Yeah, what he I read. played really well, which I just, I mean, like I'm very impressed, but I think that that's not something that you can just expect, especially a younger player to be able to do just like that. And so I'm very, I think that we probably hand Zaniolo a renewal this summer. Uh, I think that we keep him at least for next season. And I would not be surprised if next season, when the summer's rapid, when we're starting the summer Mercado, if we're saying, how do we keep Zaniolo when he had a massive comeback season? So I think that having a ro- um, attacking rotation of Abraham, Zaniolo, Zalewski, Solbakken, uh, who else? Shamurdov sounds like he might even be staying. Yeah, it sounds like um, he's staying. So, I mean, like, I think that will be, again, a good rotation. And I fully expect Zaniolo to trans go from having sh- moments of brilliance and importance, which is what we saw this season. We saw a lot of, you know, mediocrity with like moments of sheer brilliance, uh, kind of flipping the script there and having more moments of the world class quality that we've already seen from him, with some times where, you know, naturally every player comes down to earth and form every now and then. Yeah, it seems like the type of year where the Berardis and the Velottis of the world are getting linked to Roma again. So, and so if, every year? <laughs> yeah, you know yeah what? exactly. Yeah, Be- yeah. Belotti on a free at a decent salary. I wouldn't mind as a, a backup. To is he on a free? He is. He's out of contract. Yeah. yeah. Well, that I would not mind. Definitely not. Um, if it's a situation where you're swapping Zaniello for Berardi, that's a non-starter for me. And I think generally I agree with Jimmy's point where if we're, let's operate with Zaniello as a de facto new signing, I'm all on board with that. Um, you know, we've seen flashes of it as not to get too deep into it, but um, Bodo, that this, the lone goal in the conference league final, the kid can do it. It's just a matter of stringing the results together consistently. So fully on board with him being our de facto new signing. Yeah. And as the question put out, Zalewski, he might bring something to the wing that we, you know, he can't show as a wing back. So hopefully, and just as we were on the Azuri real quick, shout out to Lorenzo Pellegrini back-to-back matches with a goal for Italy. So he started well, the number 10. Yeah. Starting to show people who aren't <laughs> in the Roma verse, how good he has been this year. So kudos to him. Hopefully Mancini regrets not bringing him to most of those uh, world cup qualifiers could have used his, his skill. Um, I, a couple still, I still can't believe that they've kept Mancini around, man. I'm, yeah. I'm tired. I'm tired of him. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Pellegrini, we had one question from Vittorio Toroni. I didn't get to look through all of the player valuations from CIES, but he did show that Pellegrini is apparently worth 51 million, while Locatelli is worth 66. I'll keep Pellegrini any day of the week. And uh, 
You know, if they want to undervalue him, they can undervalue him. Uh, last question before we wrap up here. Uh, Costa by Harry Rand asks, you know, if Mourinho goes back to the 4-2-3-1, what does it mean for our four center backs? Who gets the starting spots? We'll have enough matches that I don't think it'll be a big concern. I wouldn't, as much as I love Chris Smalling, I wouldn't be surprised if he had a more injury-laden season next season. I think that having four center backs will be helpful. Uh, that being said, at full strength, my anticipation is that for the first half of the season, we see like a Smalling-Mancini Smalling pairing. Um, I would bet. I, I would bet that by the second half of the season, we might actually see Kambula starting most matches. That's my, that's my hot take going into next season. That by the time that the season's over, Kambula will be definitively one of our starting center backs. Yeah. And just to, to wrap, I would say probably small and Mancini start out, but there's enough matches to rotate. We you know, might even see some three man back line at times. Smalling Mancini, definitely. Yeah. So that'll be the episode for this week. We'll be back next week with some more Calcio Mercato, hopefully some news to report, hopefully some signings. And uh, thanks again for listening, guys.